This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Connor Morissette. We're like the Trojans were a little bit earlier this week. We are without our leader, our head man, as Caleb Williams called it yesterday. Ryan is out. He is at the Lakers game. He just did an interview with Jalen Smith on USC's campus for a House of Victory interview. So it's just Connor and I today, but it's a pleasure to have you guys joining us on the show. As always, if you have any thoughts on USC's football, on USC football, you can put them in the chat wherever you are on YouTube or Facebook. We can get those comments up here on the screen on the channel if you want to call in we're going to do live callers later in the show 5124 tunnel is the number 5124 tunnel if you guys want to call in but connor usc was without lincoln riley earlier in the week he is battling pneumonia we got to talk to him for the first time today as usc prepares to face cal on saturday what do you make of this whole week where the trojans were without their head coach yeah, Lincoln talked about how it was the first time in his 20 years of coaching he hadn't been at a practice. So like you said, he missed two. Back in the building yesterday, spoke with us today. Sounds like unless something crazy happens, he'll be at the Cal game. So that's, I'm sure, a relief to the whole team. And yesterday, Jack, on incident analysis, we just talked about how it seemed like it gave the team a lift. And they really need a lift right now after two straight losses. So I think it's great that Lincoln Riley's back heading into a big game against Cal. And it was a... Uh, very kind of weird set of circumstances. If he had pneumonia, I don't know why they didn't tell us right away, but whatever, they, they can do what they want over there. And we didn't find out he had pneumonia until a little bit later on. Um, so that, that led to all sorts of speculation, but glad he's back. And he said he's not really able to yell right now, so they might have to change some things Saturday. But the overall takeaway, what you need to know is he is back and feeling somewhat better. So that's good. Well, he did joke that because he can't yell, maybe that's something the players like a little bit, so they're not getting yelled at by Lincoln. Um, but he did say that, obviously, we knew he was sick last week. He said he felt like kind of the onset of the pneumonia symptoms hit him Tuesday of last week, which means he really fought through it for the entire week, didn't let it dissuade him from coaching the Utah game, which he said maybe wasn't the right decision, maybe he should have prioritized his health, but he said looking at it now he might do the same thing all over again because he had to be on the field against Utah especially after the two losses last year but he said that now it's been good to get a little bit of a quick mental reset as he called it a physical reset as well being at home on Sunday Monday and Tuesday on on doctor's orders returned to the team as you mentioned yesterday and it looks like right now we haven't had any other indication he will be going with the team to Berkeley which honestly I thought was a little bit up in the air when we heard the news on Tuesday yeah it was interesting that on Tuesday Cliff Kingsbury's name got mentioned as someone 
someone who they were trying to work through with the NCAA compliance office to get an, uh, to become an on-field assistant in case Lincoln Riley was absent for that Cal game. I just wondered, and we talked about it Wednesday on the Peristyle podcast, why they would bring that up on Tuesday if it was if there was a good chance that Lincoln was going to be back for the game Saturday. To me, it just seemed like why even tell us that if the plan was that maybe he wouldn't come back. Might be reading too much into that, but you know what I mean, Jack? Why even bring that up so early in the week? Yeah, no, I definitely thought it was weird. Obviously, we get told about it on Tuesday. We, you know, could have been sent an email on Monday or something like that if it was if they were concerned about it. But I think they were going with it because pneumonia is one of those things where if it pops up. Even if you go back and you're starting to feel fine, like it can always kind of have that second leg where you feel like you're fine, you go back a little too early, and then it hits you again and can knock you out. So, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen to Lincoln Riley for USC's sake, but I think they were just trying to be prepared because if you're a, you know, a, a Division One football program with the brand level of USC, you have to be prepared for anything in these kind of situations because in the off chance you didn't prepare anything and Lincoln Riley couldn't go, if you're if you're down a staffer, like that's just something that can't happen at the level that USC's at. Totally agree. So maybe that's why they gave the heads up. But just overall, Dennis Simmons talking to him, it sounded like he expected Lincoln to be back pretty soon. So I just don't know why they said it, but we don't really need to talk about that too much. He's back now, and that's in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Were, was there any other thing that you really took away from Lincoln talking with us earlier today? He said a lot of the same things, which, you know, we're close to making a, we just need a spark. We're, we're close to being good. We're close. We're close. And just after five weeks of not being at their best and him continuing to say they're close, if I'm a fan of USC, that would probably annoy me. And I wrote in my 11 takeaways about that today. You can check it out on uscfootball.com, just how, like, it's time to stop saying you're close and just play better. I think it's okay to say you underachieved and you didn't get to where maybe you thought you could go this season and he hasn't really said much of that maybe that's in an effort to keep the guys focused but I think everyone kind of knows when you start number five you're picked to win the Pac-12 two losses in October the season hasn't gone as expected and the coach for whatever reason doesn't want to recognize that right now and I, I just don't understand why he can't be a little bit more honest and just say look you know we haven't been as good as we should be yeah, I definitely think that was interesting. I asked him about whether there were any small positives from being at home because it's kind of almost like a mini bye week, at least for him not being at practice. So I asked him, you know, did you do any self-scouting? Were there any small positives that came out of being forced to look at this all through a different lens? And he mentioned it was a good mental reset where he could look back at what they've done so far this season, what has worked, what hasn't worked. He said he also thought it was important for the staff to really have this time where he felt like they handled it really well, the players handled it really well, but where they had to step up, the players had to step up and and I think the player leaders had to specifically without their head coach. So he said he thought that both of those groups handled it really well. And he just said that it also gave him a deeper understanding and, and a feeling of you know, wanting to get back on the football field because he said when you're forced to be away from these guys and it was kind of the most personable he got during this whole you know, press conference was saying like, man, you, you just really want to get back on the field with these guys. And so it gave him a different perspective after having to miss a couple days. It's almost kind of like when you go further, you know, what's it? I'm trying to remember the, the, the quote here where about like long distance relationships, you know, the further you are, the, the fonder the heart grows. Uh, more but, you appreciate it. Yeah. And it's kind of, that's what it seemed like is he kind of developed a bigger appreciation for what they're doing this season with having being forced to sit at home for two practices and get to come back for a couple more before going to Cal. I guess after two weeks of losing, of course, you never want to get sick, but 
blessing in disguise might be a stretch. Maybe it's good he has his new perspective. I don't know. All I know is that if you're a USC fan watching this right now, you just want the team to play a little bit better. And, of course, you don't want your coach to get sick to be the reason why you play better. But I think a lot of people are just like, any means necessary can we get back on track this week, especially against a Cal team that's under 500, a team that USC just has a lot more talent than and should beat. Maybe Coach Riley missing two practices that motivates him or that makes him appreciate the role he's in more. I, I'm not totally sure about that, but whatever you got to do to get back on track, fans are ready for it. All right. If you guys have any thoughts, as we mentioned at the top of the show, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, leave any of your comments there. We can put them on the screen. If you have questions, you know, either write out question or put a question mark at the end. We'll answer all those at the end of the show. And if you're still interested in calling in, we'll do that on the back half of the show. 5124 tunnel is the number that you can call in. But talking about USC's game this weekend, Connor, as we mentioned, it is a must win. Obviously, it kind of feels like for USC to salvage anything this season, every game is a must win, but you can't lose three in a row. You haven't ever done that under Lincoln Riley. The last time they did lose three in a row was back at the end of the 2021 season to the opponent that they play this weekend, the Cal Bears. So it's the last weekend or ever where USC heads out to Berkeley to play their Northern California rivals, a Cal team that is really reeling after back-to-back -back losses, but coming off of a bye week. So that always introduces a little bit of danger. What have you seen from this Cal team as you've kind of started to scout them and look ahead to this weekend. They've only played two games with their new quarterback, Fernando Mendoza, and he's inexperienced. He's thrown a couple picks, but he's given him a spark. Had a huge game against Oregon State on offense, scoring, I think, 40 points. They gave up a lot of points. It's interesting. It's not like a classic Justin Wilcox coach team where the defense is really good and the offense isn't as good. The offense has actually been okay defensively is where they've struggled. They missed a lot of tackles, and Justin Wilcox this week talked about how the bye week they self-scouted, and they're having tackling issues too. USC, they're not alone in that. I think offensively, though, it's a team that, that can move the ball, and against Utah, they were a missed field goal away from it being a seven-point game on the road at Utah in the fourth quarter. The final score was a little bit lopsided, and Sione Vaki ran all over Cal, just like he ran all over USC. But I, I, I think Cal might be a little bit better than some people think. They see the three and four record. Some of the scores haven't been that good. I, I think I don't want to say USC is really going to be challenged, but Cal, it's not a team that's just going to lay down. I, I think they have some talent, and USC is going to have to play all right to get this win. It's not going to be a, a walkthrough. Yeah, if you remember the Cal game last year, USC did not play its best game specifically defensively. They allowed the most passing yards that Cal had in the entire season, and that game came down to Caleb Williams needing to convert with a run on third down, and it felt like that was the story a little bit too often. But Mendoza's an interesting guy at quarterback. This is a guy that didn't really have many offers, was going to go to Yale before Cal entered his recruitment, and he, he obviously liked the academics there, compared it to, to Yale at least a little bit, and gave him a better opportunity football-wise. And he's come in, he's played very well the last two weeks, as you've talked about, before going into the bye week. And he's got a chance if he throws multiple touchdowns to be the first Cal quarterback to throw multiple touchdowns in their first three games since Jared Goff in 2013. He did something that Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers both never did at Cal, that he scored more points in his debut than the Bears scored in either of those two Cal legend debuts. So he's clearly been a better quarterback option than Sam Jackson V and Ben Finley, who traded off some starts and playing time earlier in the season. Both have dealt with some of their own injuries. Definitely seems like Mendoza's the guy. He's listed at the top of their depth chart. Then it's Sam Jackson V who transferred in from TCU. And then Finley, who's Ryan Finley's brother, who's been in the NFL for a couple years, played at NC State, where Ben Finley transferred over from as 
well. But it feels like Mendoza's the guy at quarterback. He, I'm not sure he's you know, the most talented quarterback in the world, but USC has given up a ton of points and a ton of yards to a lot less talented quarterbacks, that's for sure. Um, and even you know quarterbacks that don't have much experience, and Mendoza is getting that experience and coming off of a bye week, so could be dangerous. The real story of the offense, Jaden Ott, as USC fans will remember, he's the true sophomore. Uh, I believe he went to... Norco. He, yeah, Norco. Um, he's been excellent so far. He's the only Pac-12 running back averaging over 100 yards a game, leading the Pac-12 in average rushing yards per game. Uh, he's been electric so far this season again, and he's running behind what is a pretty good offensive line. I wouldn't be surprised if Jaden Ott was on USC next year, but that's a take for a different day. He's been awesome, a fantastic running back. You, you said everything about him. And USC, they've really struggled to stop the run. Cal has been getting a ton of grief for how bad their defense has been. If you go by passing yards per game and rushing yards per game, they're doing better than USC. Points per game, not quite. They're three points per game behind USC. But it's not like the Trojans' defense has been that great. So I, I think Jaden Ott has the chance to have a good game. USC will, of course, game plan for him. But remember, no Barry Alexander in the first half for this game, so things would get a little dicey on the inside of the defensive line for USC. And in Mendoza, he threw two touchdowns against Utah on the road. Caleb Williams, of course, didn't throw a single touchdown last week, snapping a 24 game streak in college for, for Williams. So Mendoza, he's going to make some freshman mistakes. He's had a couple turnovers, but I, I think he, he's an okay quarterback. And there's not really a lot of film out on him right now, so you don't really know what he's going to do. He's kind of a wild card. He handled himself really well when he spoke to the media this week. Not saying Cal's a world beater or anything like that, but they have some pieces that could challenge USC. Yeah, turnovers are going to play a big part in this game. I believe that uh, across their wins, there's only been four turnovers for Cal, and across the losses, there have been ten with multiple turnovers in every game that they've lost. So it's really going to be, I think, the ground game for Cal, because they're 4-0 and whenever Jade Knott runs for 100 yards or more, and the turnovers are what USC has to force, and surprisingly, after what we saw last season, it's something that they're not excelling at this season, at least the USC defense. Uh, are you concerned at all with the fact that USC, kind of outside of Kalen Bullock's pick six, la pick six last week that really changed the game, aren't forcing many turnovers this season? I think it's certainly a story because if you're going to allow all the yards that USC's allowed and sort of not be as good as you were last year in a lot of areas, those turnovers were huge. And the USC defense, of course, wasn't that good a year ago. I think overall the USC defense compared to last year is a little bit better, but the takeaways that they're not getting, like that was such a big part of the USC defense that wasn't very good last year and, and they might be better, but if you had those turnovers this year, the defense would be a lot better. I, I did expect of course there was going to be some regression because USC just got a crazy amount of picks and everything last year. That that was that was really impressive and of course like you can't do that two years in a row, but I, I am sort of surprised, Jack, to answer your question that Alex Grinch's defense, it's kind of boom or bust and they have had some boom plays, some sacks, some pressures, tackles for loss, but the turnovers haven't really been there and in an Alex Grinch defense that has that style of play, that is surprising. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to be an aggressive defense, you can get the sacks, the TFLs. You have to get turnovers at some point. Um, and, there, you know, Alex Grinch and the defense have come under a lot of fire, probably deservedly so, over the past week. I know you wrote an entire column about the fact that Alex Grinch stood up, talked to us on Tuesday in the media. He was asked about the two big wheel routes that Sione Vaki caught over edge rusher Braylon Shelby. We were questioning those on Tunnel Vision on Sunday, but obviously you, you go ask about it, you give the coach a chance to answer, explain how they were in that situation, and he was basically saying, hey, we, hey, we didn't see that on film, um, and obviously they were aggressive the first time. We brought this personnel in because it matched their personnel. To me, it's sounded like, well, this is a decent explanation for why the why it happened the first time, but nothing in there really about how you let that happen again. And then I know you went home, you kind of wrote about it, and it just started popping up on Twitter. 
a highlight of them running that exact play against Cal two weeks ago, where Utah brings Sionivaki, they throw a wheel route. Now, it's not completed, but it, it, it's Alex Grinch not looking great, and I'll give you a little bit of chance to explain what you wrote in the column, but to say that you didn't see it on film, and for a fan to go out and put it on film on Twitter and say, like, well, it's on film right here. Not the greatest look for USC's defensive coordinator. You set it up perfectly, and if you're a USC fan, you just have to hope that Alex Grinch had a slip of the tongue saying that we weren't expecting this play because we hadn't seen it on film, and then the week before they had run the play, it was just on the opposite side of the field. So that led me to believe, A, he's not watching film right, or B, he just had a slip of the tongue. But either way, you can't you can't come out and say that, especially when, as media, we don't get the chance to ask him a follow-up later in the week. He speaks one time per week, so it wasn't like I was going to go next week and say, hey, last week you said this. If I could call him, that would be great. Don't have that kind of relationship with the USC defensive coordinator, so just had to take him for what he said that night. And, yeah, not, not a good look at all. And just, Jack, with the USC defense, they're starting to have some cracks a little bit. Mason Cobb this week. Maybe we need to allow guys to get more reps and practice at full speed against maybe the ones. He's trying to critique practice a little bit. Kalen Bullock talked about how he didn't watch the final Bryson Barnes scramble on film because he just wanted to put it behind him. I've never heard that before. If you make a mistake on defense as a whole team, everyone needs to watch that play to learn from it. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I, I have a whole bunch of questions about the defense, and I think a lot of USC fans do too. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. The, the contrast between uh, uh, Ryan and Shotgun talked to Solomon Bird for a House of Victory interview on Sunday, and they asked him, well, you know, did you guys watch the film today? And he's like, well, you know, I guess technically, but I was up till 3 a.m. on Saturday because I just had to see it. And then you've got Kalen Bullock saying, he, he, he was kind of saying, I don't know what happened on that final drive. I haven't watched it yet because I don't want to. Obviously, with the emotional loss, he kind of just didn't want to go back and relive it. And I think if that was the first loss, you're not going to go do that. But now USC has lost two games. We've talked about it all week. We've asked players about it. They have really not fully answered the questions when we've asked it. But national championship, likely out of the picture. No two-loss team has ever made the four-team college football playoff. Pac-12 championship is seems to be very unlikely at this point, considering the stretch that USC has. They basically have to go unbeaten down the stretch in these conference games, and they've got to face Oregon, Washington, and UCLA. So that is a tough task. But maybe there's a little bit less pressure. Maybe there's a little bit you know, less weighing down this team, which could be seen as a positive. It could be seen as a negative. But the way that Lincoln Riley has talked over the, the past week, starting from game day after the Utah game, it just felt like this team was really reading into everything that was being written about them. They were listening to the pressure people were putting on them, the expectations that people externally were putting on them. And now they say every week to us, yeah, we're not going to listen to the outside noise, but it felt like Lincoln Riley, even today, doubled down on the fact that they have been listening in, and maybe that is what led to them losing two games. The outside noise stuff, that kind of bothers me a little bit, Jack, because the outside noise, you were ranked number five in the country. There are expectations that come with being number five in the country. And today, Lincoln Riley said, even in the middle stretch when we were winning games, I think we let some of the appreciation and fun of winning get away there in the middle. I've seen that happen before. You're especially susceptible to it in high-level programs like this, and that's not a positive thing. I referenced it in the game the other night. When you let the outside start determining expectations or how you feel about a performance or a game, it's a dangerous thing because the outside is always going to have extremes. And did Bryson Shaw sound like he enjoyed that Colorado game? Remember, Jack, he came out afterwards and had that impassioned speech defending Alex Grinch. There was a reason the guys weren't having fun after those wins, because they weren't playing well. So, again, I don't know why Lincoln Riley doesn't just say, we haven't lived up to expectations so far, but we're doing everything we can to get back on track, and we still have a great opportunity ahead of us. Instead, it's, 
we let the outside noise affect us. We're so close. We're a play away. And I think a lot of people, me included, are getting a little sick of the excuses. I think it's a little bit like gaslighting fans to, to put a Gen Z term on it there. But like, yeah, you don't you don't want that Colorado loss to be or the Colorado win rather to be fun. You don't come away from Arizona State <laughs> on the road looking bad and say like, well, we won, so that's fun. Like, no, you have to answer for the the mistakes. You have to answer for where you're falling short. And it feels like accountability, and I know Chris and Shotgun talked about this on the Helium Boys podcast this week, that accountability is just low right now where we don't get to talk to players after the game against Utah. They, they're not given a chance to come out even and say, we need to be better. We sucked. You know, whatever whatever their opinions were, they're not sharing those with us. And I know that, you know, they obviously get messages to give out from the PR department, the SIDs. There are company lines that they are told, you know, hey, we're four and one in conference. We have all of our opportunities ahead of us. We're in an advantageous position in what we think is the best conference in football. Sure, those things might be true, but also we want to hear football players and we want to hear the, the human beings behind the helmets because I'm sure that they've got these opinions. I'm sure that they're sitting there thinking, man, we can't let this happen again. There are leaders on this team that have been here for a long time that I'm sure have that reaction. And at some schools and, and you know, even in, the, even in the NFL, that comes out a lot. You had Drew Aller from Penn State who had uh, who had a very poor game, I'll say, as, as a uh, true sophomore on the road playing at Ohio State, had a lot of expectations Penn State did as well as what Drew Aller could potentially be, had a poor game against Ohio State. He sat there speaking to the media with tears in his eyes, you know, down his face, talking about, hey, I sucked. I need to be better for this team. I think that sometimes can galvanize a squad just as much as, you know, not letting it out, I guess, if that makes sense. And I'm just waiting and, uh, you know, we'll see whether they lose another game this season and have another opportunity to do this. But it feels like with the way that they played, even in the wind, and then especially in the last two losses, that there wasn't anyone coming out and saying, like, putting putting the, you know, the flag in the ground saying, we've got to be better. We've got to turn the ship around. It's more, yeah, we're, you know, we're one play away from turning the ship around. This ship will turn itself around if we make one less mistake or if, you know, all 11 guys do their right thing. That's not... No one wants to hear that, especially in the fan base. You mentioned the all 11 guys doing the right thing. That's another state media talking point. Who didn't say that this week? Sean Nua said it on Trojans Live. Dennis Simmons said it on Trojans Live. Dennis Simmons said it to us. All 11 guys being on the same page, one guy making a mistake, and then it all goes kaput. Caleb Williams talked about that on Wednesday. So I agree. And just going back to, to what you were saying about accountability, Jonah Monheim goes on Trojans Live and was very accountable and sounded great. Of course, Caleb Williams probably should have talked after that game. And if he hadn't, maybe we still would have been critical. But why can't a guy like Jonah Monheim just say what he said on Trojans Live after the game? He took it on the chin. He said, we let a lot of people down. We, we weren't good enough. And now there's nothing we can do but respond. I don't know why that message had to wait until Monday to come out. We're sounding like media people complaining a little bit, but I, I totally agree, Jack. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the fans. And the players, I think, in the long run, learn a valuable lesson if they talk after a defeat. People might not want to hear that, but you know what I mean? I, I think it's important. Uh, we'll talk, we've talked about USC and talked about some of the places that they have fallen short over the last couple of weeks. They get another opportunity to go against Cal. They play an unranked team. This is kind of that last one over the back half of the schedule. The one game coming into the year where we're like, wow, in this six-game stretch, Cal is the one break they've got. Doesn't really feel like that now because they've lost two games in a row. It feels like you need to win this one. There still is a little bit of pressure because you can't lose three in a row. You can't lose to Cal in the last matchup as Pac-12 opponents. But what do you see from this USC team? Where are some of the issues? 
issues you think they need to adjust coming off of these two losses? I just think there's a ton of pressure on the defense in this game. I think the offense will bounce back. Lincoln Riley did not run the ball enough against Utah. Marshawn Lloyd should have a big role, even though he fumbled Austin Joe. Whoever it is, USC, I think, will be more balanced. The Cal defense has just struggled a little bit, so USC should have some more success. People have been very critical of Lincoln Riley as a play caller, very critical of Caleb Williams. I think the offense gets back on track this week, but all the pressure, in my opinion, is on the defense, and that's where they need to improve. What are you going to do without Barry Alexander in the middle of that defense to start the game? That's a huge talking point. How do you slow down Jaden Ott? The quarterback, he's inexperienced, but he has provided a spark. How do you slow him down? If Cal moves the ball up and down the field on you and scores touchdowns and it just doesn't look very good, you know, Utah did it with their third-string quarterback. Is Cal going to do it with their third-string quarterback the next week? Eventually something has to change. I don't know. So if the, if the defensive performances keep getting worse and worse and worse, you're clearly in trouble. And this is a, maybe the only opportunity to bounce back with a dominant Washington team and then an Oregon team on the road coming up. You, you got to fix some things this week. So I, I'm looking at the defense to make a statement, but my confidence level in them doing that is not very high. Yeah, I think you almost have to accept that USC's defense isn't going to stifle anyone no. for the rest of the season. You, you're hoping to limit at this point, but the offense specifically, I think this is a get back, get on track game, If and you kind of need to against Cal. This is a defense that is normally Justin Wilcox's specialty. I mean, just look at the game the USC played a couple of years ago when JT Daniels looked lost against Cal's defense. Like JT Wilcox's defense have had opportunities and they have had games where they've done that to opposing quarterbacks and opposing offenses this season it's really the the I guess the low side of this team they're allowing 31 points a game which just a couple seasons ago I think they were allowing closer to 21 points a game on average they play have played terribly against a bunch of ranked opponents specifically where they gave up Utah's highest point total of course until you played USC <laughs> and they gave up over 50 points to Oregon State you know team that keeps the ball on the ground DJ Uyunglele is of course a good quarterback but they gave up 50 plus points to Oregon State um, and so the, the defense that has been struggling they're without Jackson Sermon who was their preseason all Pac-12 first team linebacker he's got a biceps injury he's out for the rest of the season so USC I think needs to take advantage of this Cal defense it starts with Caleb Williams this is you need to get back on track if you're Caleb Williams after two, I guess not struggle games because I think he played well against Utah, but he hasn't lit it up in a couple weeks. And this is a week where he, I think, needs to do that. The wide receivers, you're looking for these wide receivers to get open, make splash plays, look like the room that you saw at the beginning of the season, not the one that you have seen over the past handful of weeks. And of course, I think we trust the running backs. But if you're Lincoln Riley, I think he needs to show a little bit more trust in the running backs. And he mentioned today that after the fumble by Marshawn Lloyd, he probably did get a little bit gun shy with the running game. He said that in past weeks. He has said that a couple times. And now you just need to look for that adjustment. And I think that's what I'm looking for for USC this week is can they make in the adjustments that they've been talking about? Because they sure do like to talk on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and after games about, hey, you know, we just need to make a couple adjustments. We need to get all 11 guys doing the right thing. We're halfway through the season. We're more than halfway through the season. You got to see it. He did say that, and then he didn't really elaborate on it, so I didn't exactly know if he was gun-shy about going away from the running game or if he was just gun-shy about using Marshawn Lloyd because he fumbled. I write my takeaways based on everything everyone says all week, and I kept listening back to that clip like, what is he trying to say here? And I couldn't quite figure it out. Gun-shy about something, either the running game in general or just the running back, and hopefully he'll learn from it because 
USC averaged six and a half yards per carry, I think, against Utah, and the split was like 43 to 15. I, I'm totally butchering the numbers, but somewhere along that ratio of passes to runs, and that's just, you're not going to be a successful team doing that, even if you have Caleb Williams. I, and I think that when you're looking at the X's and O's, and we talk about this mostly every week, and I think this will ring true for most weeks that USC plays all season, USC is more talented than Cal. This is a Cal team that, you know, they have made some of the right moves. I think they have gotten some talented players. They went heavy in the transfer portal this season, but USC is more talented than Cal. They outclass Cal as a football program. You need to show it this week. You need to go out there, have fun, I think is one thing that's kind of been underrated. I don't think this team looks like they're having a ton of fun when they've been out there in the past couple of weeks. And now that there's less pressure, now that you know a national championship is likely off the table, but you have a chance to really regain control of your season, make a chance or make a run at a potential chance at going to the Pac-12 championship, maybe ruin Washington's college football playoff season next week maybe upend Oregon finish higher than them in the Pac-12 standings with less pressure and more opportunity you have to have more fun you have to go out there and look like the talented football team that you are and I think that is that's where you start you start there and then you figure out you know the X's and O's and the kinks in your armor to go beat Washington and then you do that the same thing against Oregon but it starts with just having fun and looking like a good football team on the football field. Your points about pressure are right. And if you're an optimist, you'll think, okay, the pressure's off. They'll be better. What I said earlier, though, I think still applies. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the defense. And when they've been in these scenarios this year, it hasn't looked good. For the offense, Caleb Williams, is he going to be as dialed in? I, I think he is. I, he said he's going to keep fighting on this week. I take what he says at face value. I think some of the pressure being off him and the offense a little bit, I, I can see that argument making a lot of sense. I just need to see more from the defense. They did have some nice moments. They did get some key stops. They got a fourth quarter stop against Utah that looked like it could have contributed to them winning the game before they gave it away on that final drive. It's not like the defense has been just terrible. They have had some nice moments. The pressure is on, though, and they, they they didn't get it done against Utah. Now the pressure is kind of ratcheted up a little bit on the road. Cal's off a bye. It shouldn't be a big spot, but it is, and I'm concerned how they respond. Yeah, so, so we've kind of talked a lot about this game. If you guys want to put any questions that you have in the chat, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, as we mentioned, you can put your comments in there. You can put questions, and we can respond to those. And as we kind of go through those, if you want to call into the show, 5124-TUNNEL is the number to call in. We've got time to kill and time to fill, so we're not going like, to hold you to 30 seconds. If you've got thoughts, if you've got questions that you want to ask us, you can feel free to call into the show. But I've highlighted a couple of questions that we've got so far um, about just the season as well as this game in general. And one of them is something that has been talked about a lot. Paul Vaughn on YouTube says, do you think Caleb Williams will s shut it down for the season? No, I think he probably won't play in a bowl if it's not a New Year's Six Bowl. And even if it is a New Year's Six Bowl, if USC goes against everything that I've been saying, bounces back, wins out, plays in a New Year's Six Bowl, then maybe he'd play. But I, I still think the bowl game, just the way college football is right now, and if, if you're – a quarterback who doesn't really have a whole lot more to prove. You don't necessarily have to play. Bryce Young did play in Alabama's bowl game when they weren't in the college football playoffs, so there's precedent for a guy doing that. I think he sits the bowl game potentially, but I see him playing the rest of the regular season. Yeah, and you know, Caleb Williams is just too much of a competitor, I think, to shut it down for the rest of the season. And I think it was just a poor take from the start. It was kind of just some from some former players in the media that said, Caleb Williams should do this so he doesn't get hurt and so he preserves his NFL draft stock. NFL organizations don't want to see you quit on your team. Caleb Williams doesn't want to quit on his team. He cares too much about you know winning and USC, I think, to go out and, and just quit for the rest of the team. 
And as a college quarterback, maybe you can sit out a bowl game if you know you're going to the draft. You can't sit out the final four games of the season. And I also think he realizes that the last two games that he's played are two of his most underwhelming games in college. Is that really how you want to end your college career? I don't think that is how he wants to end it. He wants to go back and and show how he can bounce back from adversity because he knows this offense is talented. He's still a very talented player. Lincoln Riley is still a good offensive play caller. This offense has the potential to get back on track like they were at the beginning of the season. And I don't think he's just going to quit on the team like that midseason. And what did Lincoln Riley say at the beginning of the year when Caleb Williams was compared to Patrick Mahomes he said at this point in their careers Patrick Mahomes had played a lot more college football than Caleb had a lot more football in general Caleb set out his senior season due to injury didn't play a lot there half the year as a freshman battling it out with Spencer Rattler full-time starter last year full-time starter this year he just needs to keep playing more and more football because he hasn't gotten the same amount of reps as a lot of guys had who are in the NFL now to the point that they were at in their college careers. All right. Now we've got a couple callers in the queue, so we'll go to the callers and then wrap up the rest of the questions in the queue. But we'll go to our first caller here. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello. Um, I was just want to, I have a comment, I guess. Uh, now, the, uh, you know, O'Reilly was not, uh, he was alone when, after that, uh, last loss uh, after the game and uh, I think he got criticized for that but I think maybe he, he knew he was sick and it <laughs> excuse me and he didn't want to uh, expose his players to his uh, illness possibly I don't know but I've just kind of given him a benefit of the doubt <clears throat> and uh, I'm watching this the tunnel vision, uh, it says it's live, but it, it, it's just sort of a repeat of everything that's already been said, as far as I can tell, but I don't know. But uh, anyway, that's all I have to say. Thank you. All right. Thank you for the call. Well, if, if he was didn't want to bring the players out because he didn't want to expose them to the sickness, then, then I'd, feel, I'd feel upset he wanted to expose us to whatever he had if that was his reasoning. So I don't know. I think that if that was what he was doing, I might be a little upset at him. I was in the front row. He spat on me almost. No, I'm just kidding. But... Yeah, that argument doesn't make a ton of sense. Appreciate the caller. You can hear us in the background. So <laughs> thanks for listening and watching. Um, not much else to add to that for me. Yeah, and I think that maybe it sounds like a repeat of everything that's being said, but that's kind of what we're getting from the coaching staff and from the players. It feels like you could copy and paste anything that they said this week, put it after the Notre Dame loss. Copy and paste anything from that week, and you can put it after you know the, the narrow win at Colorado. It does feel like we're hearing a lot of the same answers week to week. So if you guys feel like we're saying all the same things, it's because maybe that's kind of what is being told to us as well. 
I wonder too if he was saying he was hearing the same things because he had us on in the background and maybe he heard it over the I, I don't know maybe or maybe we did sound repetitive too who knows uh, yeah maybe it was the, the in the background but we've got Dave from Iowa in the hey, queue Dave. caller Trying to get Dave on. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Um, you know, still disappointed after the Utah game. And, you know, I got some hot takes. I'm curious if, you know, you know, you guys agree or disagree. But, you know, I truly question uh, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley's leadership. As, this, as you know, the starting quarterback, former, you know, former Heisman winner, you can't even stand up and support your defense. You're just sitting on the bench. And then when the game's over, you're just staying there. I mean, like, I mean – Come on, you mean like I just don't understand. You don't have the respect to just go to the other team, shake hands, move on. And then from Lincoln Riley, he was questioned this in the postseason about like the championship expectations. Last time I last time I checked, he's the one at the press at the introductory press conference. He's the one that said, "Mecca of college football, bring USC back to national championships and, be, and you know be nationally relevant." I'm just saying, if he says that. But he can't double down and, you know, take ownership of her loss or take ownership of potentially what's going on in the locker room or whatever. That's a problem. What do you guys think? Well, thank you, Dave, for the call. And remember, if you guys want to call in, 5124-TUNNEL, you can get your thoughts on the show. Now, Connor, I'll let you start off with Lincoln and, and Caleb and, and their leadership. But another thing I will add, too, is not only did he say in the introductory press conference, hey, this is the mecca of college football, where you expect to win national championships, at Media Day this year, he, he was the one that set that expectation that every day they go in and they want to win national championships. So that's something to add as well. Yeah, that wasn't a great comment by him. What did he say? I don't know where that comes from. I think something Came from him. Yeah, something like that. And that is the expectation when you're at USC. But forget who sets the expectation. Being number five in the country sets that expectation to begin the year. So, oh, I don't know where that comes from. It comes from what USC did in the transfer portal. It comes from bringing back Caleb Williams after a Heisman season. It comes from being number five in the country. I still think that they deserve to be number five. That's what's been so frustrating about the season. People say, what are you talking about? They, they're they clearly not as good as people thought. I, I still think they have the potential to be a lot better. So maybe I'm wrong to do that. On the Caleb stuff, I do think he is a good leader. But some of the stuff was a little troubling for sure. Sitting on the bench, I'm not going to kill him for that. He, he said that he was just trying to stay calm, and that's fine. Would you have liked to see your quarterback be more of a rah-rah guy and cheer on the defense? Maybe. Whatever. That's not a huge thing. And then the shaking hands thing, it doesn't seem like too many people shake hands nowadays. That sounds like I'm making a total excuse for him. That would have been a good look, too. But I don't think it's anything that we need to kill him over. But it certainly wasn't a good look when I think 3.5 million people are watching that on TV, and you see him kind of sulking on the bench and then not shake hands. What else can you think about him after that? Yeah, and I think that we kind of echo back to what we were talking about earlier. We're looking for players to come out and say, especially leaders, especially quarterbacks who normally, you know, they're the guys that say this, like to say, we haven't been good enough. I haven't been good enough. We need to be better. And it felt like, specifically, this is something that came through my mind after the Notre Dame game. It felt like he didn't exactly do that. Like he didn't fully hold himself accountable. He was saying, you know, obviously had my first bad game ever in college. You know, those are plays I don't normally make. I feel like that's stuff that, you know, sometimes media will say after a game like, hey, don't get too down on Caleb Williams. This is his first bad game. But for a player to say it, it did, I think, rub some people the wrong way. It was a, it was a thought that crossed my head where you throw you have three interceptions in a rivalry game. Sometimes you've got players that come out and say, and I, I don't think it's fair exactly to compare players and expect them all to be the same, but some will come out and say, hey, you know, I wasn't good enough today. Got to go back to the drawing board and get better. Not 
hey, this is my first ever bad game. So spare, he didn't, it, not that he was exactly saying that, but it was a thought that came through my head after the Notre Dame game. But I think it's more of a, we're looking for any player on the team to do that. It doesn't have to be Caleb, you know, it doesn't have to be anyone. We just have kind of been waiting for those answers instead of, we got to go back. We, you know, we had a couple small mistakes, but we're one spark away from getting there, if that makes sense. He did hold himself accountable on Wednesday, which, of course, isn't Saturday, but hey, better than nothing. He said, we got to play better. Talked about the 10 versus 11. Said, I have to play better. So he, he did say some of that, and it was on Wednesday. Gave Utah credit. Said all the right things. That was better. It, it's just tough in, the, in that situation. Barry Alexander crying. Caleb Williams sitting on the bench, USC losing, everyone like in those five minutes, if you're a USC fan watching that, you're at your most emotional because they just lost to the team that beat them twice in a row. People are logically going to have these grandiose takeaways from that because they're in the heat of the moment, and, and I get it. I don't know if you can kill a guy for something you saw on TV for five minutes. Is it a little bit concerning? I'm not going to say no, it's not, but I don't think it's something they have to say, he's not a leader, He he's not what we want to represent our program. I think that's taking it too far. Yeah, I would agree with that. We've got some more questions on YouTube, and then we can finish out the show with our score predictions for Saturday's game. The next question comes from Michael Cortez on YouTube. He said, could Riley call plays from the booth? And I think this came after right where we were saying he can't yell, so that might present some cha challenges. Do you think that's a, a consideration at all for USC? He could, but they won't do that because the check with me plays where they're changing the play with Riley in real time, and he has to be on the sideline for that. You can't have Caleb Williams looking way up at the booth. You, you, you know That just doesn't work. So if they had to do it for whatever reason, could they? Yes, but that's just not how their offense works, and I don't think that makes sense for the week. Yeah, you might need to bring binoculars down to the field with him. Binoculars. Right? You know, clap and then <laughs> wait for the snap and then just pull him out. And try and find him in the booth because there's a lot of there's a lot of windows up there and you got to be able to figure out which one Lincoln's behind. But you know it, it they could have someone in the booth. I've I've thought maybe they should have defensive play caller in the booth just to try and change things up. But this is the way they operate. I don't think they'll change that just over uh, Lincoln Riley being sick. Kane Roberts on YouTube. Our next question said, "What will SC's record be over the next four games?" In your opinion. So I'll, I'll lay it out. We've got this weekend they go to Cal, then they welcome in Washington, then they go to Oregon, and they finish the season at home against UCLA. I could see it be one and three at the worst, and I think two and two. I'm going to go two and two as well. I, I I think Washington, they have been on the ropes in their last couple games outside of the Oregon game. They have not played as well on the road as they have at home. You could see them, if USC shows up this week and then gets better for the Washington week, you could see USC win that one because I don't think Washington's defense is a world beater as well. I think USC is probably still favored against UCLA. While UCLA has a great defense, they're still figuring out quarterback this far into the season. They've turned the ball over a little bit too much. You get that game at home. I think you could win. You know, you could win three. You could win four. I don't think they've done anything to inspire confidence, and so that's what you're looking for this week when they go to Berkeley. But I'd go two and two as well. I think that's the most likely record across this final stretch, which I believe Lincoln Riley has never had a four-loss team before, so this would be his first four-loss team in the regular season. And not to pile it on, but I feel more confident that they'd go one and three compared to three and one. Just what they've shown us the last couple of weeks, they can keep saying they're so close, they're so close, they're so close against good teams it just takes more than what they've shown. And I, I don't really, I'm, I, I've lost faith. I, I, I think that 
maybe they weren't quite as talented as I, as I expected at the beginning of the year, and them continuing to say we're so close, we're so close, we're so close, I, I'm losing faith in that, and I don't think that's quite true anymore. We've had a handful of questions that are asking about the offensive line. Um, I think some of them are still reeling after that Notre Dame game. I'll, I'll throw up Levi's from Facebook on the screen, but there have been a lot of comments about the offensive line. He says, what happened to the offensive line? Caleb is holding the ball while running for his life, trying to run plays. Now, we were very critical of the offensive line after the Notre Dame game. What are your updated thoughts after they played Utah? I thought the offensive line was a lot better, only responsible for four pressures against Utah. I think they had nine against Notre Dame. What's popped up is that Caleb Williams is being dinged for a lot of pressures, and people will say the offensive line is responsible for all the pressures, but sometimes, and PFF grades can be finicky, but sometimes the quarterback gets charged for a pressure too. So when you see those crazy high numbers, it's not only on the offensive line, and Caleb has struggled with that a little bit this year. But Mason Murphy at right guard has been really good, I thought. He was great in pass protection. Jared Kingston at right tackle was good. There was no like, oh, crap, what happened on this play, in my opinion, in that game. And against Notre Dame, there were a lot of those plays. I did ask Josh Henson, the offensive line coach, did he regret not making these changes until right now? And he said, no, I just wish the first group we rolled out played a little bit better. I think the line, they might not be great the rest of the year, but they're, they'll certainly be competent, establish a solid baseline. And I think that's... A positive right now and you don't have too many of those yeah Henson said that they needed more power at the guard spot so they moved Mason Murphy from kind of reserve but maybe trending towards starting right tackle in to be the starting right guard he said uh, Murphy told us yesterday that Henson moved him over on Monday of practice going into the Utah week so clearly that was a change they knew they had to make coming out of the Notre Dame loss uh, and then the question was who's going to play right tackle Kingston played left tackle at Washington State you obviously had Mark Michael Tarquin who had played the majority of USC season at right tackle but it struggled in the past couple weeks and obviously Kingston won out that battle and I expect and Henson said to expect that to be the rotation for the rest of of the way, at least until something else needs to change. Um, I thought the left side of the line actually played really well. You had Jonah Monheim, who I thought held his own um, and really showed why he is probably the best player on this line. And Josh Henson kind of said last week that that's the, the spot that they've gotten the most consistently good play from at left tackle. And then you've got Justin Didich, Emmanuel Pregnon, who I thought had better games uh, against Utah. But you're still looking for that unit to fully gel together. And we'll see if this is the combination that they get that from. We've got one more question, and then we'll go to our final caller before we wrap up the show. Fidi Lama says on Facebook, if USC loses more games this year, do you think Lincoln will finally get a new defensive coordinator? That's the million-dollar question. To me, it was the Utah game. That was that kind of told you everything you needed to know. Has the defense made the improvements needed to beat a team that beat you twice last year? Have they shown progression? And Utah, of course, on offense, wasn't as good as they were last year. USC had them at home. The answer was no. They did a couple of nice things, but that game, that was like the pass or the fail. The defense specifically failed that game. I'm not going to say for sure one way or the other what's going to happen, but if I was in charge of the program, that would be the game that would signal to me they need to make a change. And I think, you know, they played – obviously there were stretches where they played well. They got a couple stops, but they played majority poorly for the Utah game. I feel like if they got that last final stop, we're not talking about this. Obviously, fans would still be calling for it, but I think Alex Grinch would have bought himself some time. That being said, with a poor game where they had stretches where there were just kind of unacceptable play calls, unacceptable mistakes – and then to finally have the trust put on your side of the football to go out there, win the football game, keep us in the lead, don't give up a field goal. They almost get there, but then there's the undisciplined play by Bear Alexander, and then there's the 26-yard scramble where Joel Klatt did a really good breakdown on YouTube if you go watch. I think his series is called Breaking the Huddle. 
you can't allow you know a short completion you can't allow a quarterback scramble to get into the field goal range you have to play zone coverage there. That's what Joel was saying, and it makes a lot of sense because your defenders have your eyes forward. You don't have a spy on the quarterback, which also was probably a little bit of a mistake, but if you're in zone, you're able to keep your eyes on the quarterback. You're able to see what's happening in front of you. Alex Grinch called man coverage. USC was in man, which means all the defenders had their backs turned to the quarterback, their backs turned to the line of scrimmage, and then there was only one man accounting for Bryson Barnes. It was Bryson Shaw who was playing deep for USC because they didn't have a spy. He he takes a bad angle, and because everyone else is in man, they're taken out of the play, and that's where you get 26 yards. That kind of mistake can't happen. That's one where, you know, one play doesn't decide a job. But when you're on the hot seat and all of this stuff is happening and Lincoln Riley puts his trust in you and I mean, play call wise that you messed up. That's a mistake. You can't be in man coverage in that situation. You can't not put a spy on Bryson Barnes who had already had some nice running plays. You can't come out and say, hey, you know, we didn't see it on film or allow Braylon Shelby to be in coverage twice. So the question was, you know, if USC loses more games, I think I'm on your side as well, where I kind of feel like maybe the fate has been sealed. Now, we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball into the athletic department. There were people that thought Alex Grinch's fate was sealed in the Cotton Bowl last year, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I think at this point, I don't think they need to lose more games for them to make a change this offseason. And just the, the feeling that I've got right now is that I think we'll see it happen. And then to add insult to injury, one of your defensive leaders doesn't watch film of that backbreaking play. That can't happen. Yeah, we've got two callers in the queue. We'll end the show with, with our final two callers. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hello, this is Dave from Boulder. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good, good. Hey, uh, I just, um, I would just, um, Connor. Connor, you've you've mentioned that uh, the difference this year might be that, you know, people have had, a, like, coaches had a lot of chance to to study film on on uh, Caleb. The, the 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 difference that. Sort of the pivot of the season to me was that when Arizona State, second half particularly, they they rushed Caleb. They, I think they sat back man to man. They have enough good corners, I guess, and they they could they shut him down. And it seems as though all of the teams now they are rushing. They're putting pressure on Caleb. They're playing man, I think, and they haven't. They're good enough corners. To uh, to make a difference. Anyway, what, what's your thoughts on it? I'll hang up and fight on. Great call, thank you. The man-to-man defense certainly has been a big problem against Arizona, who Arizona recruited a lot of cornerbacks who USC did not recruit from Southern California. Guys from Alamany, guys from Long Beach. Alamany is a school in the San Fernando Valley. Guys who USC, with all due respect, didn't even really consider looking at. And they were shutting the receivers down in man coverage. So that's been a huge part of it. Another problem, too, I think it will change now that the offensive line has been tweaked. But teams have been able to get pressure on USC by only rushing four people and not blitzing. And that is a killer. That was what killed Tom Brady when he was in those Super Bowls against the Giants. They didn't blitz. They would be able to get to him with four, and they could drop other guys into coverage. And teams have had success doing that. That could change now with the new offensive line, like I said. But the man-to-man coverage has been a major, major problem. And I'm surprised USC hasn't adjusted enough to change that. Yeah, I mean, we we were watching the Colorado game, and I was kind of re-watching some of the games from from this season so far earlier this week, the Taj Washington long touchdown where Caleb Williams had tons of time and he picked apart the defense, fine Taj Washington. That was when Colorado, I I believe they dropped eight guys into coverage and everyone's saying, well, all you got to do against Lincoln Riley's offense is drop eight guys because then he's not going to be able to figure it out. 
if you drop eight and you give Caleb Williams time, he's going to pick you apart. The problem is if you're dropping seven or eight guys and you're getting quick pressure on Caleb Williams, it's hard for any quarterback, any offense to be productive against that many people in the secondary and that quick of pressure from such little defenders on the defensive line. So that can't happen. And I think that you're going to see a little bit less of that with this offensive line change, but everyone's kind of singling out Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley for this. If you have an offensive line that's given up pressure to three or four guys and allowing the team to drop eight people into coverage, it's going to be hard for anyone to, to, to be successful. And I also think that other teams, when you're talking about the film, they have found out how to better rush Caleb Williams, which that was inevitable. Yeah, obviously, he made defenders look silly last season. He has had those plays this year, but he's more consistently being taken down as well in the backfield because teams realize his tendencies, and Shotgun did a good breakdown of this against Notre Dame. When you go after his back shoulder, that's normally the way he spins away to get away from the pressure. It's easier to bring him down if you attack that shoulder as opposed to, uh, you know, that would make him step up, which is not his normal tendency. So the combination of the offensive line, if you can't block three or four people, you're not going to have any success. I don't care who you are. And then also teams, I think, are figuring out how to rush Caleb Williams a little bit better. Yeah, I think, too, earlier in the year, teams were so undermanned. They were like, we can't match up guy to guy. We need to just have a zone and fall into it. And USC was just picking those bad teams apart. And once the competition level rose and teams were able to man up USC, Lincoln Riley insists that there were a lot of people open against Notre Dame. Maybe that's true, but the pressure didn't end up mattering. I kind of pushed back on that. Lake McCree, he was kind of open on that pick, and Caleb underthrew him. But the other picks, like, the guys weren't as open as, as he thought, I, I, I thought. Maybe that's him knowing a lot more football than I'm knowing. But, like, I feel like watching that game back, there were guys open, but, like, on the other side of the field. And Caleb Williams was under pressure on the other side. So even if that person was open, they were washed out of the play. I think they've had more trouble against man-to-man -man defense than Lincoln Riley's acknowledged, and it's up to them to fix that the rest of the way. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of these things go hand-in-hand, -hand, and this is what made what USC did last season so impressive is on the offense. They were so cohesive. Every position group was doing their part. But when the sometimes when the offensive line struggles, the quarterback's going to struggle. When the offensive line struggles, wide receivers have less time to get open, so people think, hey, they're not getting open. When wide receivers can't get open, the offensive line has to block longer, then maybe they give up sacks so people say, why is the offensive line playing so poorly? When the wide receivers don't get open, Caleb Williams has less options to choose from, and then he's got to wait in the pocket more, and then sometimes he gets brought down. When Caleb Williams is playing poorly, he can you know run around a little bit, find his own pressure, and that makes the offensive line look bad. Or he might overthrow a guy, that makes the receivers look bad, even on the plays where they get open, and it just feels like so far this season, USC, since I think the Stanford game and the first half against Colorado, they have not gotten the cohesion from all position groups on the offense at the same time. So I wouldn't single out all of the groups and say like, well, the offensive line is bad and the receivers are bad and Caleb Williams is bad and wide Marshawn Lloyd fumble. It's kind of like, well, when the offensive line plays poorly, it's hard for the receivers to get open, which means it's hard for Caleb. And I think it's kind of that domino effect that, that you can point out a little bit more than saying, well, why are they bad everywhere? And someone pointed out in the chat, if you drop that many guys into coverage, run the ball, great point. Run yeah. the ball more. Yeah, there you go. But you got to trust the offensive line to, to be able to, to get pushed, and they didn't have enough of that in the Notre Dame game. They clearly did against Utah, so we'll see if they get back to it. Final caller, and then we will end off the show. Hi, caller. You are on Tunnel Vision. Hello. I called a little while ago, and I apologize because I, I think I insulted you guys. You really do a great job. And so does Shotgun and Trevino and, of course, Ryan. Uh, but uh, I felt guilty, so I thought I'd call back. And uh, I'm a longtime Trojan fan, and, and uh, I always hope for the best. And you never know what's going to happen sometimes. And uh, 
I'm just going to keep rooting for him, and I, I appreciate you guys, and I'm, uh, I hope you accept my apologies. Oh, well, th- you really th- do a great job. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. No, no need to apologize. We we have thick skin over here, and thanks for calling back. What a what a nice fellow. Simple misunderstanding. Yeah, and I I didn't think he was trying to insult at all. No. I, yeah. So thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you for the call, obviously, and uh, thank you for listening to the show and being a longtime fan, and we do really appreciate it. Connor, let's end out this show by giving our score predictions. We do MVPs as well. No Caleb Williams. How are you feeling about this one? I think the spread is ten and a half for USC. I do not think they're going to cover. They haven't covered for five weeks, so I'm done with that. It's like the banana in the tailpipe. I keep falling for it. Not doing that again. I have USC winning 30-27, to 27 and my MVP is Marshawn Lloyd. That's an interesting one. I, I was bouncing back and forth on, on, on the spread, and I kind of – and I'm not going to try and spoil too much from my, from my pick in the uscfootball.com staff picks. I ended up taking them to cover. I said it's like the X that you know is toxic, but you can't help <laughs> getting back with because I just feel like – they have to bounce back at some point, right? This is too talented of a football team to not bounce back. On Tuesday, I thought there was a chance they lost the game. Just seeing the vibes at practice, seeing how how low energy everything was, how weird the interviews were after, I was like, they might lose this football game. Then we got there on Wednesday. They're playing Eminem, saying, guess who's back with Lincoln uh, Riley back. They're you're taking the cheese, Jack. Uh, taking the cheese a little bit. You know, I don't think they're going to you know win by 30 or anything like that, but I think it's two touchdowns. Maybe it's a little bit more... I think I'm going to go 41-27. I think that's where I'm going to stick right now. So USC does cover. You have to figure Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley figure it out. And if they don't, and I've said this, I think, for the past couple of weeks, this you know the difference was I was on the other side of the spread. If they don't figure it out, then they're really doomed. And at this point, I think the pressure of them being doomed is off because their national championship hopes are already doomed. And they're on Pac-12 Network, so maybe a lot of people can't watch that might relieve some pressure, too. I'm joking, of course. This is the week. This is the, the week to not save the season, but just get on track a little bit, give some people a little bit of hope, and then who knows what can happen the last three weeks. But you lose this week, then it's batting down the hatches. The Fire Riley people will be even louder. And I'm not saying even then they'd, they'd be warranted, but then we just you know keep going down this path that I don't want to go down doing these shows. So win the game, and we can talk about something good for a change for a little bit. Oh, no, you're too naive. That still will not happen. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. But thank you guys so much for watching the show. Connor, unless, you guys have got, Connor, unless you've got any thoughts, we can, we can wrap this up. Wrap it up. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be back here. I think it will be Ryan, Connor, and Chris on Sunday night show recapping whether it's a USC winner or USC loss. They'll be here. Uh, and you can obviously do the same thing with any comments or calls or questions that you guys have got. You'll have them for them on Sunday. But Connor and I drive in tomorrow to go to the Bay Area, back to the best area in California, Northern California, uh, the game's in Berkeley. It'll be the last weekender. So if you guys are going out as USC fans, enjoy that final weekender before USC heads to the Big Ten and enjoy the game at California Memorial Stadium. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you've watched along for the entire show, you guys are the best. Make sure you're leaving a like a comment on wherever you're watching, a five-star review if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, and make sure you subscribe if you're watching here on YouTube or Twitter. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. For Connor Morissette, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you guys for listening to Tunnel Vision, and we'll see you guys on Sunday.